If you would take your scriptures and turn with me to Psalm 99, we'll be reading the entire psalm. Psalm 99. Would you give ear to the reading of God's word? The Lord reigns. Let the people tremble. He dwells between the cherubim. Let the earth be moved. The Lord is great and holy in Zion, and he is high above all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. The king's stretch strength also loves justice. You have established equity. You have ex- executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. Moses and Aaron were among his priests, and Samuel was among those who called upon his name. They called upon the Lord, and he answered them. He spoke to them in the cloudy pillar. They kept his testimonies and the ordinance he gave them. You answered them, O Lord our God. You were to them a God who forgives, though you all took vengeance on their deeds. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning to show you our love and to keep the requirements you have placed on us. To follow your laws and obey your commands. We come to your word so we might learn all the commands you have given so we can have the strength and courage to go forth and live our lives as witnesses for you. Help us, Father. Help us. In Christ's name, to keep your commands and to love you with all our heart. Help us to learn this morning from your word. In Christ's name, amen. This is the third and last psalm that opens with the line, the Lord reigns. We also see that the word holy is repeated three times because of that. I titled this message, the very holy psalm. This makes this psalm one of the links in the chain that connects the first revelation of God in Genesis with the full manifestation of the doctrine of the Trinity, which is shown in the commission of the risen Savior to the church. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This prepares the faithful to join in the heavenly hallelujahs of the church glorified as Revelation 4.8 does. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Many of the previous Psalms were extolling the the dominance and supremacy of the Messiah. They spoke of him solely as the object of triumph and rejoicing. We have seen him presented in all of his bountiful mercy and in the excess of his loving kindness. The ideas of might and majesty, which always accompanies him, seem mainly to have been regarded as the way these gracious designs will be carried out and made manifest. They leave you with a feeling of his power at work in you. There is always, though, a great danger in such a feeling, lest our reciprocal covenant should be too easily forgotten that always causes you to rest on your privilege to the exclusion of your practice. And that's very dangerous. This is the problem the Jews were so caught up in. They would say, we have Abraham as our father. They were trusting this made them right with God. 
They saw it as an inalienable right. Ever since Christ came, men have been falling into the same type of error, establishing privilege over practice. This would also be true of the Gentiles coming into Christianity. Many have fallen into the same type of error. Some say, I was baptized by Paul. Others say, Peter. Others, some other teacher or apostle, which made my salvation better than yours. We see today in one church refusing the baptism of another. It's shown very clearly that this is a weakness of human nature. This brought the prophet to warn the world of this evil. To show them the righteousness sense of how powerful the Redeemer's majesty could really be. Note, it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. But the psalmist wants you to see what this is all joined together. God's assertions are clear. He's ready. He's willing at any and every time, at any and all times, to hear your petitions. This psalm is both of great power and of exceeding consolation. Let's look at this psalm and learn of the holiness of our Lord. First, we will look into the holiness of Jehovah. Second, we shall examine how much the Lord loves holiness. Third, we shall study the Lord's holy character. The ground of all religion is set in this one glorious truth. The Lord reigns. Listen to verse 1. The Lord reigns. Let the people tremble. He dwells between the cherubim. Let the earth be moved. We see God governs this world by his providence. He rules the church by his grace. But both are undergirded by his son and led by the Holy Spirit. It is imperative that we all believe the Lord lives. We must hold to the fact the Lord reigns. This is the triumph of the Christian church. And here... It was the triumph of the Jewish church that Jehovah was their king, and hence it is concluded, let the people tremble. Let even the subjects of the kingdom tremble, for the Old Testament dispensation was filled with many terrors. Israel, when they came to Mount Sinai, did exceedingly fear and shake. Even Moses trembled at the presence of God. There was great fear and terror in the presence of God. Even when he appeared to help his people, he did hard things, things that were hard to see and understand to bring about their safety. We are told about this terror in Hebrews 12, verses 18 and 19. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and a sound of the trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. It terrified them. Now through our Lord, let him reign and let the earth rejoice. What we understand in this is that in the old days, God reigned in terror and fear. But today, today because of Jesus Christ, he reigns in love and mercy. Jesus came into this world to complete the works of grace, mercy, and love. He came to set men free from the terror of sin, to open their hearts, to see his love, to learn how to love God above all things and to love your neighbor as yourself. I ask you, do you at times live in fear of death and hell? Well, I'm going to tell you, I think that's true of everyone. We confess our sins. 
We ask forgiveness. But you know what? We have a terribly hard time turning loose of the guilt we feel. Let me tell you what you must do. It's very simple. You need to go to God's word. You need to read what he says about you after your confession. He says he's your heavenly father. He loves you so much, he sent his only begotten son into this world with a double cure of your rebellion against him. That double cure is that Jesus Christ took the sin from your life and carried it on his back and it was nailed with him to the cross, removing forever those sins from you. He shed his blood as he hung there, dying, and and that shed blood washed away your guilt. If you trust in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone, sin and guilt can never make you fear judgment because Jesus took your judgment on himself and freed you forever. It's right and just that the enemies of his kingdom should tremble. They should fall on their faces as though they were dead because of his holiness. They will know he will either bring them into obedience by giving them a new heart and calling them to his, with his golden scepter. Otherwise, he will crush them with his rod of iron. In the Old Testament days, he ruled more by the power of his holy fear. Now he rules by the power of his holy love. May the Lord reign even though the people be roused to indignation by his rule. Even though they fret and ignore the Spirit's comfort and they rage in anger, it is all in vain. Our God will set his king on his holy mount regardless of the people's objections. He will make those who reject him tremble. Let the Lord reign and the earth be moved. Those submitting to him will be established and never be changed. Those that oppose him will be moved. Heaven and earth shall be shaken in all nations, but the kingdom of Christ will be destroyed. The things that cannot be shaken will remain and will continue forever. God's kingdom set up in Israel is here declared to be the subject of the psalmist's praise. Two things are affirmed here. God presided in the affairs of religion. He says he dwells between the cherubim. First, he sits on his throne and delivers laws. Second, he sits on his mercy seat and receives petitions. Here is where you find the honor Israel was given. They had the Shekinah glory, or if you will, the special presence of God. This presence was attended by holy angels. The temple was the royal palace, and the holy of holies was the chamber of God's presence. See the greatness of of the Lord. Verse 2. The Lord is great in Zion, and he is high above all the peoples. At the temple in Zion, he is known and praised. There he served as a great as great in honor and majesty, probably more than anywhere else ever. He is set high above all the peoples. Here there, there he is high and lifted up so he can clearly be seen. He looked up to be he is to be looked up to. So in Zion the perfections of the divine nature appear more conspicuous and more illustrious than anywhere else. Therefore let those that dwell in Zion worship the great name of the Lord. 
They must give glory to that name because it is holy. The holiness of God's name makes it truly great to his friends and terrible to his enemies. In verse 3, we find the first holy of this psalm. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. This section is titled, The Holiness of Jehovah. There's not another attribute of God that stands out so clearly as this. He is holy. In what do you find a threefold declaration of praise to God? There is only one attribute to so to be used. Isaiah 6, 3. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. In what other attribute do you find him exalted in the same way? Where does it call out, faithful, 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 Lord God of hosts? Our eternal, 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 almighty God. The sovereign power of the Lord of hosts is but once mentioned, but it is three times his holiness is declared. Holiness is the foundation of God's character. Without holiness, there'd be no love, joy, long-suffering, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, or self-control. The whole ministry of God to man is grounded in his holiness. None of these other attributes can stand on their own. If God is not holy, then God is not God. Because he is the standard by which life can exist. It is his holiness that gives him the strength to be immutable. Therefore, when praise is given him, it begins with holy, 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 the Lord God of hosts. With his holiness as the center of God's whole being, so it is the glory of every one of God's perfections. Without holiness in God's character, there would be no beauty in him. He would be no different than any other part of the creation. Without holiness, all his other attributes would be devoid of honor. Just as sincerity is the sparkle of every grace in a Christian, so is holiness the splendor of every attribute of God. Understand, it's holiness that lays out the gospel for us. Without God's holiness, he could never have delivered us from the curse of sin. It is only because Jesus lived the perfect life that we can have hope of holiness when we come to heaven. It is not hard to imagine a world without holiness. All you have to do is look around you at this world today. It has no holiness. It also has no desire to have holiness. What becomes their foundation? It is self. Self and the gratification of the flesh. They know no holiness. All they have is selfishness. They want no law, no standard, no judgment. They surely want no Savior because a Savior means they needed holiness but could not attain it. Jesus Christ has brought us his holiness and offered it to all who will hear his call and believe its truth. Do you not see that everything you require for salvation is grounded in the holiness of God? You don't have to work to gain holiness because Jesus Christ has given you his holiness. He came into this world to live the perfect life, die the atoning death, and win the resurrection victory. Each of those acts was only possible because of God's holiness. The holiness of Jehovah is the ground of our salvation. The scripture is clear. 
in showing us that the Lord loves holiness. Look at verse 4. The king's strength also loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Jehovah is king. The mercy seat is his throne. The scepter he sways is holiness itself. He, it is very important that you recognize that God never exercises his power like a tyrant. Jehovah is sovereign. He is absolute in his government. His might loves right. His force is only used for just purposes. Today, today we see so many men trying to rearrange his government to suit themselves. They want to be the source of all judgment. The men that believe in God and his sovereignty will always be men who are God's who are who see God's acts as right and just. The one who loves God will never try to call him to account, but will humbly submit themselves to his will. They will rejoice in the firm persuasion that with his holy omnipotence, God pledged to promote righteousness and work justice for all of his creatures. We also see that he, is, that he established equity. Not just a court of equity, not an equity as left, the left of today calls for. This equity is based in his justice, and it is applied to all men in the same way. This equity is as stable as God's law. This system of equity is not for just some people or for certain occasions. This equity is an established institution as stable as God's heavenly throne. The Lord will never do anything to remove or injure the equity of his mortal, moral government. He is always careful to make sure in providence and in grace that the purity of his system will never fail. The system our founding fathers established for our governance was built on God's system. The problem with such a system is men. The men overseeing such a system have to be God-fearing men or that system will collapse. The laws of any nation are only as good as the men trusted with their oversight. God's law can never fail because God is the one overseeing it. Charles Spurgeon declares, The Lord our God demolishes every system of injustice and he upholds that right alone is made to stand. The psalmist says, Lord, you have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. It's important that you know that God's justice is not merely established, but executed in God's judgment, in his kingdom. In God's kingdom, the laws are carried out. The executive is as righteous as the legislative. Why is it so important to know this? Because this shows the holiness of God in everything he does. Everything he makes. So where is, is, so here is where all those who love and what is right can find occasion for praise. Do you love what is right? Do you do your best to make sure you treat others right? Here's where your love of God begins to shine. Psalm 15, verses 1 through 4. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? He who walks uprightly and speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue. 
nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. Does this not remind you of Christ's second statement about the law? Love your neighbors yourself. The columns that hold the kingdom of God in place are love, joy, peace, and justice. God loves his people. He will not let them be deprived of his love and mercy. It is imperative, imperative that you as a believer, as one who loves your Lord, that you seek to grow in your love for everyone else. If you're growing in your love for God, then you must also be growing in your desire to see that everyone comes into his love and peace. The example we're given is how God ruled Israel with justice and righteousness. Do you love God? Then love others. If others adore God, then let all who love him render to him the most ardent worship. Verse 5. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. God's infinite condescension is what makes him stoop down and be called our God. His truth and faithfulness bind him to keep him in covenant relationship with us. Knowing this, surely those of us who by grace he so lovingly gives himself to, we should exalt him with all of our hearts. I ask, do you see the depth to which you must love him? This is our covenant God. He pours out his love on us as he sits on his mercy seat. Therefore, we must come to his footstool and worship him with all of our hearts. This gracious and merciful God comes to us in his only begotten son as our reconciled God. He's the one who brings us in, who allows us to approach his glorious throne. It's important that we understand we must come in our worship uniting earnestness and humility, joy, and adoration. We come exalting him and doing so as we lay ourselves down in the dust before him. We must prostrate ourselves before him. We have no worth. We have nothing to offer him. We're coming looking for his mercy only. We need to be ever so excited to worship him with all our hearts. How much should we cringe at our failures? Do you ever think about your failures? Do you cringe at the thought of them? It must be our great joy to manifest so good and great a God. Let me ask you, do you do this and do it on a daily basis? Do you thank God for who he is and what he does for you every day? You must make this a part of your daily prayers. We must constantly be thanking our God because he's done everything for us. We couldn't do any of it ourselves. What does he end this verse with? He is holy. This is our second holy. Our God is holy and we should come with his holiness on our lips. The seraphim in Isaiah 6, 2, 3 cries out before him, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. This holiness, this holiness is part of his administration of all of creation. It includes the temperament of his justice. 
is filled with his mercy exhorting the redeemed. Filling them through exhortation to acknowledge and bring his people to the proclamation of his gospel. Come before his throne. Come before his throne with your heart bowed to the ground and worshiping this, your holy God. The Lord is holy. He's righteous in his character. The psalmist gives examples. Verse 6. Moses and Aaron were among his priests, and Samuel was among those who called upon his name. They called upon the Lord, and he answered them. Though not ordained to the typical priesthood, Moses was a descendant of Levi and served at the pleasure of the Lord. Aaron, Moses' brother, was the first high priest. Samuel was an Ephraimite and was Israel's last judge. The three holy men, these three holy men mentioned here, all stood in his courts and they saw his holiness, each one after his own order. Each one of these men stood in the gap when God broke forth in his wrath. They did this because his holiness was insulted. They came acting as intercessors which is what leaders are supposed to do. They came before God and screened the nation from God's great and terrible anger. Otherwise, the nation of Israel would have been destroyed. What we need today is men of character, the character of these three men. We need to come before the mercy seat as they did. These men made it their business to come daily before the Lord in prayer. Through their prayers, the nation received many blessings. Does the Lord not call us to come up to the mountain as he did Moses? Does he not call us to come into the temple as he did Aaron? Do we not hear him call us by name as he did Samuel? And do we not answer, speak, Lord, for your servant hears? The psalmist says they called upon the Lord and he answered them. Their prayers were not in vain. God in his great holiness answered them. Is this not the foundation of our praise? He hears our prayers and answers us. Do you not understand if he he was not holy, his word would be false? He would have no concern for the people and would leave them to suffer and die without hope. How did he speak to these men and what did they do in response? Verse 7. He spoke to them in the cloudy pillar. They kept his testimonies and the ordinance he gave them. In the old dispensation, God spoke to men in various ways. In these three men, we see those ways. God spoke to Moses out of the cloudy pillar that went before the children of Israel as they wandered in the wilderness. He spoke to Aaron through the Urim and Thummim, giving direction to the nation. In Samuel, he spoke to him in a personal way throughout his ministry. Today, he still speaks to men by his son. He speaks to them through his word as directed by his son and the Holy Spirit. It may not seem as personal, but it is even more personal because he speaks in your heart. How did these men respond? They responded in obedience. They heard and they did what he commanded, just as it should be with you. Read his word, hear it preached, take it, take what you hear and learn and apply it to your life. 
Nothing speaks to the character of a man more than his obedience to his Lord and Savior. What does God do for these men? Verse 8. You answered them, O Lord our God. You were to them God who forgives, though you took vengeance on their deeds. What we learn from this verse is that God is a gracious God. He spoke to these three men. He heard their reply. He acted on their obedience. Moses, Aaron, and Samuel were not perfect in their dealings with others. Moses sinned when he struck the rock instead of kissing it as God instructed. Aaron gave in to the people when they thought Moses was dead and he built them an idol. Samuel followed in Eli's path by not teaching and correcting his children. But God forgave them even as he punished them. Today, in the dispensation of grace, Jesus Christ came into this world to die for his people who were all sinners. Do you in your heart believe Jesus is the Son of God? Then your sins are forgiven. But know this, as sure as you are a child of God and you do wrong, he will correct you. Jesus paid the price for your sins of the past, those sins you're committing today and the sins that you will commit in the future. But his forgiveness does not mean in this life you are free from punishment when you sin. When you fall into sin, parental discipline will come upon you. He will show you through that discipline your need to return to holy living. We hear this glorious title of Jehovah and and when we are to worship him, verse 9, Exalt the Lord our God and worship in his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. Now you should know that this psalm is Trinitarian in its whole structure. You can see it in each of the persons of the Trinity that the Lord is the God of his people. That means the Father is ours, the Son is ours, the Holy Spirit is ours. Let, him, let us exalt him, the triune God, with all the power we receive through our redemption. We must come and worship at his holy hill. We must come and worship where he appointed his holy temple. Now you know where that is. For Jesus told us in Matthew 18, 20, as he's talking to the disciples. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. There's no place we are called to worship today. The church is the people. It's not the building. So where we are, where two or three are gathered, we are in the temple of our God. Together we can lift our voices and worship at his holy hill. Here in this last verse is our third holy. For the Lord our God is holy. In this, we come to see how we are to praise the Lord for his holiness. You cannot call yourself a Christian if you are not willing to open your heart and declare praise to God as holy. It is God's holiness that sets the boundaries for your life in this world as his disciple. It is his holiness that brought Jesus Christ into the world to save the souls of men. Look to Jesus Christ, for he is the revelation of God the Father. He came to show you the wonder of a relationship with the Holy God. He offered himself on Calvary's cross to free you from the bondage of sin you were trapped in. 
He is also the one who sent to you the Holy Spirit to live in your heart and guide you into a walk of holiness. For the Lord our God is holy. These are some of the most comforting words we can ever hear. We need holiness in our lives. If we are to please our Heavenly Father, and because He is holy, He sent to us our Lord and Savior to bathe us in His holiness. Praise the Lord. In conclusion, I plead with you this morning to open your heart and call out to Jesus Christ. Commit your life to him and he will receive you. He will build you up in a true holiness, a holiness that will help you to maintain your relationship with your holy God. You must understand your holiness can come to you only through Jesus Christ. He saved your soul. He lived for you the perfect life you could never live. He died the atoning death you had to have to set you free from your sin and and the unholy life you were trapped in. He also won the resurrection victory that cleared away every obstacle that could keep you out of heaven. Therefore, lift your voice and praise this, your God, for his mercy and grace. And remember, the Lord reigns. Exalt the Lord our God. Let's pray. Hear us, O Lord, and answer, for we are poor and needy. Guard our lives, for we are devoted to you. You're our God. Save your servants who trust in you. Have mercy on us, O Lord, for we call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servants, for to you, O Lord, we lift up our souls. Grant unto us knowledge and help us to apply that understanding to how we live our lives. Give us grace to help us understand your works and teach us to be holy. Thank you for the opportunity to learn as we listen to your word. You do for us everything because we can do none of it ourselves. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.